The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. My name is Zoe Gogawala. Uh, I practice in uh, Boston at Leahy Hospital and Medical Center. My name is Hanjo Kim, and I'm a spine surgeon at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. My name is Koi Than, and I'm a neurosurgeon at Duke University. So there's been some innovation in the inner body space, and today we have two experts with us, Dr. Gogawala, as well as Dr. Than, to discuss with us the current literature, as well as their preferences for uh, inner body use. So we'll start with Dr. Gogawala. Dr. Gogawala, can you give us some insight into different uh, inner body surfaces that have been uh, that you have been exposed to recently and what your preferences are? Sure. As you say, there's been a really substantial amount of innovation in uh, the uh, inner body uh, space, so to speak. Uh, there's been, a, I think, a, a move by uh, some from uh, uh, biologic uh, cadaver bone or uh, standard uh, surface peak to um, uh, looking at materials that might be more uh, friendly to uh, bone cells uh, porous peak, uh, for example, uh, titanium uh, as another um, alternative. Um, my uh, uh, preference right now is uh, I use a uh, more porous peak uh, uh, material um, with the concept that the radiolucent properties of peak are advantageous. The, um, uh, the uh, uh, overall uh, modulus of uh, peak is uh, favorable from the prevention of uh, subsidence. And, uh, and the porous uh, quality of the peak, I think, uh, gives an advantage for, uh, for uh, uh, osteoconduction. Dr. Than? My use in the inner body space depends on which uh, part of the body uh, we're working on. Uh, I'm particularly interested in uh, the cervical uh, region, uh, where I uh, continue to use structural allograft. Um, early uh, in my practice, I noticed that um, I was seeing a lot of patients who had had peak uh, spacers placed, um, packed with some sort of graft, of course, but a lot of them uh, weren't healing, and uh, they required revision surgery, either a re redo ACDF or a posterior cervical um, surgery to uh, fix their symptoms. Um, so during my time in Portland, I actually looked at all the ACDFs done uh, at OHSU and found that for single-level ACDF, uh, the rate of um, failure uh, for a, a peak cage uh, was actually about 50%. Now, that was radiographic failure, and not all of those patients um, required a redo surgery. Um, but certainly, uh, that was very alarming. And we're actually about to uh, publish our multi-level study um, showing that in multi-level ACDS um, peak cages, um, uh, we're showing pseudarthrosis on, at about 70 or 80 percent after one year of radiographic follow-up. So um, in the cervical um, spine, I've continued to do structural allograft. You know, I think uh, if the goal of a fusion is to create bone, it makes sense to me to, to put in bone. Um, although, uh, like Dr. Gogawala acknowledged, there's um, a lot of advancements in um, inner body cage development that uh, may promote uh, a bony fusion better than traditional peak. Do you think the surface coated peak would have different results in the rates of pseudarthrosis than the traditional peak cages? I do. Um, I'm uh, pretty convinced by some of the science looking at, uh, you know, roughened titanium, for example, or um, or a porous peak uh, that Zoe mentioned. And I uh, think that when we have the chance to look at these in um, formal uh, clinical studies rather than 
you know, looking in uh, petri dishes or in animals, uh, we'll be able to answer these questions more, more carefully. Dr. Gugwala, do you also have a regional preference on the type of inner body graft surface you'll use in the cervical spine, for example, versus the lumbar spine? Yeah, I think I, I agree very much with Koi. In the cervical spine, I use uh, structural allograft um, almost exclusively. Uh, in, in my hands, that's uh, had an excellent fusion rate, and uh, we've had very little problems uh, with that approach. In the lumbar spine, uh, like many, uh, I've seen that the uh, cadaveric uh, bone grafts are brittle, and sometimes when you're dealing with a narrow uh, disc space, uh, trying to get that uh, bone graft in uh, results in fracture. And so the, uh, the durability of a titanium cage or a peak cage um, uh, and the handling characteristics make it uh, a little bit uh, easier in the lumbar spine. But I just, uh, you know, I think, you know, Koi's work in uh, peak uh, in the cervical spine uh, has really been uh, enormous. And I think that, uh, uh, I think the results that you published uh, for one level were in uh, JNS spine last year. Um, really uh, um, uh, eye-opening uh, to you know what we uh, what we need to do with uh, inner body fusion. I think there's a, a real need for um, uh, meaningful clinical research comparing carefully uh, titanium cage, uh, porous peak, uh, and combination uh, cages, uh, titanium uh, and peak cages to look and see what really ultimately is the fusion rate uh, for patients who are treated with inner body fusion. Dr. Than, in your research, uh, did you find a significant rate of revision for those patients with pseudoarthrosis as well? And how high was that rate? So the number of uh, patients um, with radiographic pseudoarthrosis who required revision was a, a clearly a smaller subset. But when uh, comparing um, the rate of revision between structural allograft and uh, peak, uh, the findings were statistically significant, something on the order of 10% um, or so wow. uh, of those who um, demonstrated radiographic pseudoarthrosis. So 10% difference between the two, or 10% was the total percentage of those needing revision? 10% of the total. Of the total. Very nice. Okay. Also, there's been some advantages not only in the surface technology, but also in the types of cages. So there's articulating cages, there's hyperlordotic cages, there's um, uh, also expandable cages, especially with, uh, depending on the delivery method, whether that be uh, through a lateral approach or an anterior approach or even the transforaminal lumbar inner body space. Um, maybe uh, we could hear from the experts on their choice or their th current thoughts on on these cage morphologies. Sure. So great, uh, great point. You know, I think the goal of uh, inner body uh, fusion devices is probably number one to promote fusion, but number two, particularly in the lumbar spine, but also in the cervical spine, to uh, promote lordosis. And these uh, uh, lordotic uh, cages, uh, expandable cages, um, uh, offer some uh, uh, advantage uh, potentially for uh, generating that lordosis. Um, I have not moved towards uh, the use of expandable cages and looking at the you know, systematic review of the literature. I don't think there's clear evidence that uh, expandable cages uh, are superior to um, uh, uh, fixed uh, lordotic cages, um, but I think there's more work to be done uh, uh, in this area. One of the things that, uh, that we worry about with the expandable cages is the, uh, the uh, integrity of the end plate and uh, whether the uh, the end plate will be able to withstand that and whether we're going to see problems with subsidence. I don't think we know, 
but uh, at least the, uh, the current data and the current systematic reviews of data that have been published in the last couple of years don't show us that expandable cages are superior to uh, uh, fixed lordotic cages. Getting to the point about lateral and uh, anterior, I think there's greater opportunity for the, uh, the use of larger uh, lordotic cages um, uh, with those approaches compared with uh, TLIF. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think all of those represent you know, good um, opportunities for, uh, for generating lordosis. I think you do a little bit more work when you try to create lordosis with a T-lift because you've got to get the, uh, the annulus stretched out, you've got to get the ligaments uh, stretched out, and uh, then ultimately if you place a cage more anteriorly in the uh, inner space uh, and then uh, compress down on the uh, screws, you can uh, get a very similar result that you might see with uh, uh, a lateral exposure, for example. Dr. Thin? Uh, for open TLIF, I too have not been super impressed by the literature comparing articulating versus non-articulating or expandable versus uh, non-expandable. I don't think um, there's been a great study to show much difference in the segmental or lumbar lordosis uh, using um, either of those. Uh, in my practice, where I found expandable cages to be helpful um, is in minimally invasive TLIF, uh, when you're placing a, um, a device through a two centimeter uh, window, uh, that can be um, helpful. Um, uh, and to Zoe's point, I think with uh, hyperlordotic uh, cages, those are uh, most efficacious um, when there's anterior column release, either through an A-lift or through a lateral exposure. Although with, I think, both of those, it also requires um, some posterior osteotomies in order to get uh, maximum uh, use of the uh, cage lordosis. Okay, well, I want to thank both of you for your time and giving us your insight on the innovations in inner body. Thank you.